take your Bibles now and let's read a few verses and we'll talk about what's going on. It says in verse 20 of Luke 17, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and he said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Remember, he just said, it's not going to be look here and look there. And he said to his disciples next, they're going to say to you, look here and look there. He just said it won't happen. He said, this is going to happen. Verse 24, he clarifies, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part of heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. Stop right there. Eyes up here, and let's study God's word together. I love it when Jesus is asked questions. Okay, when Jesus is asked questions, because then Jesus gives answers, and when Jesus gives answers, you and I have insights, and when you and I have insights, we have the ability then to live right and to die right. See, there's a whole bunch of people right now making stuff up. Have you met somebody that's just making stuff up? Usually they work at community colleges, but I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. I take that back. I will not. I will, I, there's people making stuff up. Left to their own accord, they say, well, this must have happened, and here's one theory that we'll apply over this, and we'll expand that and stretch it over, and they take historical evidences and theories, and people just make stuff up. Jesus is asked questions, and he gives answers, which allow for us to have insights, which then afford us to live right so we can die right, so we can know what is true and not do what is not true. Don't raise your hands, but have you ever lived under a lie for a season of your life? Have you ever thought one thing was true when it really wasn't true? Have you been deceived? Jesus gives us answers so we can then live right and do right. I'm just thankful that the Bible gives to us this opportunity to study it. As a matter of fact, some people have said that the Bible is the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, that we would look into it and know what is going on. This is so important in the year 2000. What is it? I forgot the date. 18. 2018. So that we would know what, how, and who to answer people when they ask us these types of questions. The first general observation here, let's read verse 20 again. It says, now when he was asked by the Pharisee when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here and see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. First general observation we need to make is that there are two kingdoms. You see, this Pharisee, this group of Pharisees, those people then, they knew that there were two kingdoms, not just one kingdom. This observation and application will change everything for you and how you navigate here in the kingdom of man with the idea of the kingdom of God that is coming. You need to first, even today, settle. There are two kingdoms that I'm living in. One is temporary, it's going to stop, and one is eternal, and it has already begun for you who are believers, and it will never stop. And if you don't understand this idea of two parallel kingdoms, one that is temporal, one that is eternal, you'll do a disservice to both of them. You won't serve right temporally to your fellow man. You won't do that if you don't understand that there is an eternity. And if you don't understand that there is an eternity, you won't navigate well for the things of God, even as he is building his kingdom right now. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that God is going to hold us accountable for how we steward our wealth, our days, our dollars, and our duties, both in the temporal kingdom of man and in the eternal kingdom of God. 
This is huge for you young people especially who are just kind of maybe waiting for something to develop or something to pass until I can go to heaven. Or maybe even more profound for you older folks who've been around the block three or four hundred times like Wally here. <laughs> and you can find yourself, man, I've been doing this forever. I've been a Christian. I'm just waiting for the Lord to return. And yet he would speak into your life and my life and say, there's a kingdom of man that needs to be stewarded biblically. Everything you are allowed down here and afforded is going to be held accountable to you, but you need to do it with the lens of eternity, which will change everything about the way you date, the way you marry, the way you run your house, the way you navigate your future and look forward to retirement and the definition biblically therein. Jesus has asked this question specifically, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And he says, it's not given with observation. And it's not going to be here or there, as some would say it is. He goes on to clarify, it is within you. Now, this Greek word he used for within you is entos. And it can be used a lot of different ways. It can be used in you, among you, near you, by you, around you. And I believe to the believer, it is all of those things. That the kingdom of God is in you, if Jesus is in you. And it's around you, and it's with you. It's all over the place. And once you understand that there is a difference between this kingdom and the kingdom of God, you'll be able to then serve both kingdoms biblically and rightly. The first thing we need to do and establish is that there are two kingdoms. Now, this kingdom of man we're very familiar with. You were born here. I was born here. I live here. You live here. And we're very much aware of what's going on. And we need to understand biblically that the kingdom of man that we see here is broken, that it's damaged that it's not right, it's actually imperfect. And once we understand that it's been damaged and that there is physical illness, there's broken families, there's pain and suffering, there's mental illness. I mean, if you guys have seen this, right? Our world, and a lot of people don't believe this, they don't know this, that our world is perverted and upside down and distorted and damaged and mismanaged. We live in a fallen world. Can I get an amen for somebody who knows that? We live in a fallen world. And I'm just like you. I get up every day and I make coffee. And I make it nice and strong. And if it's not right, I'll dump it out and pour, make another cup, you know. Life's too short to have bad coffee. <laughs> Amen. Write that. Somebody write that down. Oh, I went to church today, learned some stuff, you know. And while the world is damaged and broken, God has asked us to serve. He's asked us to be a part of the solution. He's asked us to be here. He's not asked us to be those who are aloof to the sufferings of the world. He's asked us to have strong coffee in the morning, if you would, or a strong fitness routine or whatever it is you do, and then to serve. But to realize as Christians that as we serve our fellow man in its brokenness, we're doing so building the kingdom of heaven and its coming. That the kingdom of heaven is going to be here one day. But we do need to swallow that at the front end. I do believe that we live in a perverted, distorted, mismanaged, fallen world. This started all the way in Genesis chapter 3. You guys remember early, early in the Bible, Adam and Eve sinned. And they made a mistake and rejected God's uh, uh, provision and, and his dominion over their lives. And sin entered the world. And in my Bible, when you get to chapter 4, okay, right, the very next chapter after the fall happened, the very next chapter heading in my Bible says, Cain kills Abel. That escalated quickly. Like, what in the world happened? And from chapter 4 to chapter 6, we see that God is concocting a plan to flood the entire earth and start over. Like, everybody's dying now. And I think this is important for us to realize. Whew. 
this is all messed up. It's all messed up in our world. Things aren't right. Things should be different. Things shouldn't be this way. This is not how it should be. And here's why this is so important for you who are Christians. Because there are people in this world that don't understand the biblical understanding of the brokenness of our world. And instead of trying to fix it, they accept it. Instead of trying to fix it, they legislate it and mandate it. Instead of trying to fix it and to identify what's gone wrong, they justify it and they embrace it. And it becomes tolerance and diversity and craziness. And when you and I who look at life through a biblical lens, we say, there's a lot of stuff that's not right. There's a lot of stuff that's broken. And yet the whole world has this opportunity today to look at the lens that God has provided through his word to be able to see why things are the way they are, or they could reject God's word and say, this is how it's supposed to be. And yet you and I who have our minds renewed and our eyes opened would say, no, it's broken. It's mismanaged. It's damaged. And the Lord then would interject the kingdom of God that is coming, his plan to redeem, his purposes put in our hearts. This is important. I'm actually so glad that this guy asked this question. Look at verse 20 again. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisee when his kingdom of God would come, he answered, what if Jesus said, what kingdom of God? There's no kingdom of God. It's just the kingdom of man. We got to get better universities and better health care and got to get the Republicans out and the Dems in or got to get the Dems out and the Republicans. We gotta, what if he said that? He didn't. Jesus answered the question because there is indeed a kingdom of God. He does tell us, though, that it doesn't come with observation. That is, that you're not going to be able just to see it the way we want to see it. Verse 21 says, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now, if you read the Greek here, how this Pharisee comes to talk to Jesus, you get the sense that he's actually kind of quizzing him, not wanting to know, not as a student, but instead of a naysayer, kind of a critic. Like, hey, when's the kingdom of God coming, bro? You've been doing all these miracles. You just healed these 10 lepers. You got all this cool stuff you're doing. When are you going to do something good for us? And Jesus said, that's not how it works, bro. That's not how it works. He said, the kingdom of God is actually with you. It's right here. It's among you even as we speak. And the scary thing is, is that while he was asking about the kingdom of God, who was he asking about the kingdom of God to? The king. A <laughs> couple things about this Pharisee. Number one, I like the fact that he was asking about God's stuff. He cared. He wanted to know. He's a little bit concerned. Maybe he's just trying to trap Jesus. Maybe he's trying to be a weirdo. But he had some concern in the things of God. And I would say, you guys are here this morning. You're doing the same thing. Good job. He had concern. I would also say this to his positive side, that he knew that there were two kingdoms. There was a kingdom of God and a kingdom of man. He knew this parallel. He knew this tension. The thing that scares me, though, is that when he wanted to know about the kingdom of God, he didn't even realize he was talking to the king of God. Now, you might say, yeah, what an idiot. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever in your life missed out on what Jesus was doing right in front of you, right in the very midst of your difficulty and imperfect life and troubles? Have you ever found yourself not understanding that God is right there? Listen, as he said, within you and in the midst of you. Have you ever woken up and had a really bad day and thought, man, today was a total bummer. Somebody must have gave me decaf. <laughs> and yet, where was Jesus that whole day? He was right there with you. His kingdom was flourishing. His kingdom was growing. His kingdom was real. And yet you, like me, like this Pharisee, can quiz Jesus at times and say, when are you going to do something good? Oh, 
we can learn from this guy. Jesus is always doing good stuff. The kingdom of God is with us. It's around us. It's in us. He's always doing something. And I'll tell you what, from time to time, we get emails and we get text messages and we get phone calls and we get complaints and we get letters and we get stuff here telling us what's going on wrong with our church. I don't know if you guys realize that. There are a lot of critics in the month. We also get a bunch of people writing letters and sending messages and phone calls and texts saying, ah, God's blessing me. Ah, and there's a bunch of people who are fired up. But whenever I get one of the negative Nancys kind of get all of us or the, you know, bellyache bills or, you know, downer Dan, you know, we just get, you know, we get these people, they, they send us a message. They, I can't believe this is happening. And if your name's Bill, Dan or Nancy, I apologize. That's, that's totally generic. <laughs> Lukewarm Luke. There, I'll throw myself in there. Pick on myself. I, I, truly though, I, I look at these messages. They're, they're rare. Don't, don't, don't be, don't, don't, don't think wrong. But when I look at these complaints, it's, it's like this Pharisee. When is the kingdom of God going to show up? And Jesus could have, if he wanted to, like pull his face back and, rah, you know, and like show him the kingdom of God. He could have, he could have, he could have went ham on him, you know, like, you're, I mean, you're point blank you're testing Jesus Christ about what's going on, bro. It reminds me of my son, Noah, who's now 10. He's upstairs. And on his third birthday, we put a lot of work into his third birthday. And if you guys have kids that are three and four or younger, you know, they're still brain dead. Don't do birthdays for them. They don't deserve it. And they're not going to remember. And I kid, I kid. But we, we, we put this birthday on. It was Thomas the Train birthday, man. My wife made cake pops, and we did decorations, and it was this really cool party. And I remember Eddie and Katie Townsend were there. We lived down the road here on 35th Street at the time, and we had this party, and about an hour into it, Noah had this look in his eyes, kind of glazed over, and he was looking off into the distance, age three. And he had his party hat on. He's kind of tapping his foot a little bit. And all of a sudden, he muttered, he's like, I want to go to my party. And me and Eddie looked at each other and looked at him. We said, this, this is your party. And he said, no, no. I want to go to my party. And he was dissatisfied with the party. We told him, Eddie and I couldn't believe. We're like, bro, this is your party. It doesn't get any better than Thomas the Train. You know, like, this is it. And Eddie and I brought up that meeting, that party, and how many times we as believers even. This guy's a Pharisee. He studied the law. Did you know it's his job? It's actually his legal job to figure out when the kingdom of God was coming. That was one of their job descriptions, to ask the traveling rabbis, to ask the people that were saying stuff, to figure it out. That was his job, and yet the kingdom of God was right there in his midst. What if this changes everything for you today? What if today you decide to leave here and say, you know what? I've been so negative. I've been so down. I've looked like I've been baptized in pickle juice, but today I'm going to believe that God is doing things, that right now that God is active, that his promises are yes and amen. If this Pharisee can miss Jesus right there, if Noah Frechette can miss his three-year-old birthday party, I don't want to miss what God's doing in my life. We learn a lot from not only the answer that Jesus gives here, but from this Pharisee who he wanted to know. He did see that there were two kingdoms, but he missed what Jesus was doing. This would be such a tragedy for you and for me this week if we missed what Jesus was doing. If we didn't understand, it didn't choose to see. Now, Jesus had just healed 10 lepers. Now, let me just throw another little tidbit in there, and I'm not sure if I'll include this in the next service because I'm going to chase a rabbit. Did you know that after Jesus dies, about two or three weeks from now, and raises from the dead and walks the earth for 40 days, that on the day of his ascension, right before he goes up, did you know that the disciples would ask this same question in Acts chapter 1, right around verse 6? They would say, hey, are you going to restore Israel now to its glory? Is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus looks at them like, did you miss everything? 
Did you, did you listen to any? They ask you this a couple months from now after the resurrected body. They too. Hey, whole kingdom of God thing coming now. Woo! And, and Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the day or the hour. Those times are put in the Father's hands. Here's what you're to do, though. And this is what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus says, you want to know what you're supposed to be doing? Building the kingdom of God while it's being built right now. Be witnesses. Be those who are displaying and dispensing the things of God everywhere you go. Beginning in Jerusalem, that's your hometown. Okay? Or even your house or your marriage, your smallest circles. And then God would possibly allow you to go from Jerusalem to Judea, that is your outskirts, and then to Samaria, that is missions, and to the uttermost parts of the world, that is to the highways and to the byways, all the way to Siletz. <laughs> and yet again, the eddy, the, the, the little area of water that doesn't flow down the river we get stuck in, is this kind of stinking thinking, what's God doing? You know, as soon as I figure this out, I'll start, I'll start getting excited. As soon as I see this revelation in my life, as soon as I see this deliverance, as soon as I see and feel and understand the kingdom of God, I'll be a part of it. I would say it's among you now, right now. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Jesus here does tell us, though, look what he says in verse 21. He says, nor will they say, see here and see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, he turns his gaze. I'm not sure how this actually looked. Pharisees ask him a question. He deflects that question, gives them some answers. Then he turns to his disciples and he disciples them, teaches them, tells them what the kingdom of God is really like. So if you're a disciple here, lean in and let's study this together. He says in verse 22, then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here and look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part of heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus refers to a few things you need to pay attention to if you're a Bible student. Number one, he says his day. And number two, he says the Son of Man. These are both Old Testament terms and ideas that he applies to himself. The Son of Man, stealing this term out of Daniel chapter 7, talking about the Messiah, the awaited Messiah who's coming. And he says, I am the Son of Man, and those days that are spoken of in the book of Daniel will be fulfilled one day by yours truly. It's important that you see this. I was just asked a question before this service began over here on my right of what Hasidic Jews and, and, and uh, Jewish people believe about Jesus, and do they esteem him rightly? Do they esteem him highly? And the answer by and large is no, they don't. Unless you're a Messianic Jew, a believer who has come to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Son of Man. Jesus says, here's what it's going to be like. I am indeed the Son of Man. And there will be those days when you will see me, just like lightning is seen from the west to the east. Let me just say a few more things about the kingdom of God. That's what we're learning about today. Now, let me make sure you're, you're paying attention rightly and applying this to your life. How many of you guys are living in the kingdom of man right now? Raise your hand. Kingdom of man. Okay, my hand's up. By, I'm, I'm living in the kingdom. Raise your hand. Okay. Okay, if you're not, you're going to be deported. I'm just kidding. No. You're in the kingdom of man. You're right here. You better settle into that. I'm living here. Everything I do matters. Everything I do is being watched. Everything I do counts. And if you have a biblical understanding, you're going to the kingdom of God. So you need to understand what is the kingdom of God like? And Jesus, I believe, takes this as a teachable moment. This guy wants to pick a fight with him. He pushes him back a little bit. He's like, that's not how it works, bro. The kingdom of God's with you. You totally missed it. Hey, disciples, pay attention. And he turns to his disciples and he says, guys, there's going to be a time where people are going to say, look here and look there. 
There's actually going to be a time in your life you're going to want to see the kingdom of God. He said that to them, and you're not going to be able to see it. And what he's referring to is what he would do in the future, his return. They even asked that again in Acts 180, so that's not going to happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is the first thing you need to write down there is the kingdom of God comes patiently. It's coming patiently. Every generation that has ever lived after the resurrection of Jesus Christ has thought that their generation was the generation of Jesus' return. Every generation has had that hope within them. Like, dude, I hope he comes soon. Especially the people that lived in the dark ages. You know what I'm saying? They're like, he's got to come soon. <laughs> I'm going to die before I'm eight. You know, the, the lifespan was so horrible. Every generation has wanted his return. It's actually ingrained in our DNA. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. That we all want his return. And Jesus said, there's going to be times where you want my return and there'll be people saying, it's right over here and it's right over there. Don't pay attention. This is crazy. Let me just say two things. The kingdom of God comes patiently, number one and primarily because God is patient with the lost. Peter says multiple times that God is not slack or lazy, but instead he is patient concerning the promises of God that none should perish. You know why Jesus hasn't returned yet? Because there's more people to be saved. I mean, on one side of the coin, I want Jesus to return today. Do, do you not? On the other side of the coin, I don't want Jesus to return today because there's more people that need to be saved. And only Jesus and only God and only the Holy Spirit and only the Trinity and only heaven gets to pull that day. That day's been etched in eternity. It's already been pre-programmed. Okay, they're not like wondering, like rolling the dice and hanging out and finishing their coffee. When should we do this? You know, It's all set in stone. It's crazy, though, because people will predict certain days People will say it's going to be here, going to be there. That's what he said. It's going to be this way. From that time, all the way from the book of Thessalonians, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he told them, guys, stop it. When Jesus returns, it'll be like this. You're not going to miss it. Get a job. Unpack your bags. They're all waiting for the rapture, waiting for stuff to happen. He said, no, no, no. Stop that, man. Become a profitable citizen while living here. If you just do a Wikipedia of prophecies, or should I say predictions, of the Lord's return, you'll find over 200 people since Jesus came and died and rose again from the dead had predicted the actual day of his return, the year. We call them false prophets, okay? And there's a whole list of them out there. As a matter of fact, there's this one guy. His name is Edgar Wisenot. Now, now it's not spelled Wisenot, but that's how I pronounce it, Wisenot. It, 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 it's, it's spelled Wisenant. There's an N in there, but I think I just, you know, the N is silent to me. We call him Wisenant. Uh, and you guys maybe remember Edgar Wisenant. He wrote a book in 1988, and he uh, titled that book 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988. Remember that? And uh, some people bought it, a lot of people bought it. And when Jesus didn't return in 1988, you know what he did in 1989? He revised it. And he wrote a new book called 89 Reasons Why, I'm not even kidding you, like that he must not have had an editor or a wife or any friends. And so he, and he wrote another book. And then in 1990, he wrote another pamphlet talking about his predictions and his calculations. And he must have, you know, his coffee was decaf or something and it didn't work. He went on to write predictions in 1993, 94, 95. He skipped 96, maybe he had a bad day. 97, until finally, I put this in my notes, until God killed him in 2001. Now, if you're going to like double click on that, it means he died, you know, but I just think God's like, hey, boy, enough, you know, stop messing with people. And there are men and women who predict and they take what's true. The kingdom of God is coming. His return is nigh. 
You can, if you choose, read the Wall Street Journal in one hand and the Bible and the book of Daniel and Jeremiah in the other hand, and you'll see stuff and whoa, you know, and you'll start to freak out. But listen, the kingdom of God is coming, but it's not going to be the way you think or when you think. Jesus actually said, nobody knows the day or the hour, which blows my mind that people actually predict the day and the hour. Jehovah's Witness. They actually say that Jesus Christ did come back in 1914. Were any, were any of you here? Wally was here. Anybody else here in 1914? <laughs> 1914? In the J, I, they said he came back. and like, well, how did that work? He's like, well, it was in Brooklyn. It was real secret, and he still lives there. There's actually a mansion in Brooklyn to this day, Brooklyn, New York, that's for Jesus when he returns. And I, I saw some pictures of the people like, yeah, we got it all ready for him. I'm like, that's not where he wants to live. <laughs> Crazy stuff. I got a whole bunch of crazy stuff to talk about. I'm not going to do it. It's gonna, not worth our time. As a matter of fact, there are people on uh, Wikipedia you can find that have predictions of his return in 2019, so you better get ready. Uh, 2020, 21, 24, 25, 2030, 33, possibly 2057. All different false prophets that have done the calculations from reading Ezekiel and Jeremiah and looking at the new moon Sabbath and all this stuff and saying it's going to be now. Do you guys remember how many years ago was it that there was a billboard right there. And it was like May 21st, wasn't it? Remember that guy? May 21st is Armageddon, Apocalypse Now, it's going to happen. And I remember it was a Sunday, and I took a selfie in front of that billboard like, yeah, still here. You know, like, <laughs> come to church. It didn't work. It's fun to poke and kid. I would say this, though. I would say this. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It has to happen. The other day, maybe Friday, I was sitting on my couch, and I just decided to put myself in that emotional state of readiness for his return, and I sat there and imagined it was going to happen in the next 30 seconds. It's a cool practice. You should try it. Not while you're driving, because <laughs> you have to take your hands off the wheel, you know. And I just sat there, and I imagined, what if it happened in 30 seconds? Like, what in the real world? And it will cleanse your heart and reestablish your focus and energize your steps, because if you're not careful, you're going to be like this Pharisee who wanted to know, maybe, who was kind of mad and spiteful at Jesus and not seeing the beauty of the 10 lepers that he'd just healed, the things that he'd been teaching. And if you're not careful, you'll just live your life in the kingdom of man. We're all living here, but you won't be doing real well. You'll be doing poorly. So Jesus takes this as a teachable moment. He says, it's going to happen. Watch out for the weirdos. They're going to wear people down. They're going to distract people. Some of you maybe read that book, or maybe you even have books at your house, and you're hoping for this new fall season and all these Jewish holidays to be the fulfillment of his return. Those days are in his time, not ours. Look at what he says in verse 24. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. He says, when, he, when I do return, guys, just so you know, it's going to be like lightning flashing in the sky. When lightning flashes in the sky, the implication is everybody sees it. You guys have been in a good lightning storm, haven't you? I spent some time in Minnesota, lived there for three years, and they get some crazy tornadoes and storms, and the sky turns purple, and the lightning flashes. And When it's dark out and lightning flashes, everything's illuminated. Isn't that crazy? For that one second, you look around like, whoa, I see everything, you know. And then it goes away. And Jesus says, when I return, it's not going to be in Brooklyn, New York, 1914 at some bagel shop, you know and nobody's gonna see it. It is gonna be like the lightning. In other words, don't worry about it. Not your problem. You worry about the clear mandates I've given to you while you live on earth, okay? 
to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor the same, to love God and to serve others, to know one day it's going to happen like a thief in the night. And Jesus takes this time to tell his disciples how it's going to go. I need you to see verse 25 as we roll through to the end of this chapter because he sticks this in here, lest we forget the cost of the kingdom. Verse 25. But first, he says, before we get to the good stuff, I love the good stuff, but before we get to the good stuff, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now, when he said this, you guys know his disciples didn't like this kind of talk, talking about the suffering and the cross and the crucifixion. They didn't like that kind of la, 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 pretend he didn't say that. He keeps saying stuff like that, la, 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 until they finally realized that you can't have a kingdom and you can't have a crown until you have a cross, that until Jesus pays for the sins of this broken world, this battered world, this imperfect world, physical illness, spiritual illness, mental illness. This world is broken. It needs a king that has borne a cross in order that he can wear that crown rightly. Jesus said this of himself, the son of man must, that's a big word, suffer, it's another big word, many things, another big idea, and be rejected by this generation. Jesus knew what he was doing when he went to the cross. My kids asked me yesterday as we were driving around, hey, Dad, which one's greater of a holiday, Christmas or Easter? Well, I said, well, Christmas, we get presents, so you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and then they were asking, like, which one's more important, though, the birth of Jesus or the death and resurrection of Jesus? And I was like, those are such profound questions. You can't have one without the other. There is no death without birth. And there is no kingdom after birth without a death. And Jesus said, the kingdom's coming. Hey, the question on the table, when's the kingdom coming? <sighs> Don't be deceived. Don't even worry about it. By the way, there's a great cost. In case you're wondering, by the way, like how this is all pie in the sky, maybe you're a critical thinker, maybe you went to community college and you know, your professor told you something. And I don't know if that's true. You know, it's like, you've got to understand Jesus like a warrior, marched towards the kingdom of heaven while on earth, bearing your sin and my shame and our iniquity in order to establish and to secure the promises of God. The promises of Jesus are yes and amen. Let me say it rightly. The promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus because of what he's done. I think it was Wednesday. I went to Clearwater for lunch. Chris and Linda Palm were visiting from the Tri-Cities. There are life group leaders and hosts up there. And it was Chris Palm's 50th birthday. So they asked me to join them for lunch. And his parents came down from the Tri-Cities as well. And, 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 and when I went there, it's, I got there right on time. And I said, hey, I'll, I'll meet you at the table. I got to go to the bathroom really bad. And so I went to the bathroom. And I came back to the table 20 minutes later. And when I got to the table, I set my Bible down. I said, sorry, I'm late. And by the way, I still haven't even gone to the bathroom yet. I'll be right back. And I went to the bathroom again. And so what happened was, is when I went to the bathroom the first time, I was waiting in line there with my Bible, just like this. And, and it was down there. And this woman came and got in line too. And she said, whoa, what kind of Bible is that? I said, oh, what kind of Bible? It's a, you know, I said, oh, it's a New King James. Oh. And she asked me a few questions. She said, is the name Jehovah in it? 
And I said, oh, yeah, for sure. It's, for sure it's in here. And she opened up to Psalm 83 and made sure it was in my Bible. And she's looking through my Bible going, whoa, you've read this thing, you know, and, and all the rest. And, and we got to talk, and it turns out she was a Jehovah's Witness. And we began to talk about Jesus. And it was in there, and she was telling me some of the things. And I said, here's the deal. And I really smiled the whole time. I was super nice, even though I had to go to the bathroom. And, and we talked about various stances and theologies, and I led her to a few scriptures that talked about Jesus being God, and she wouldn't necessarily receive those. She said, well, I don't know if that's what it says. I said, that's exactly what it says. Jesus is God, and Jesus died, and the problem, I said, with your stance and what you've been led to believe is you guys take Jesus and you push him down, and he's just a created being. And while he is the son of God, he's not eternal in deity and in nature like it says in the scriptures. And I said, it's very important that you esteem Jesus rightly and highly because when he died, he bore the sins of the world. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness, what you believe is that you're not going to heaven when you die. You're going to be obliterated. You're going to soul sleep. There's nothing for you. I said, that's not what I believe. Jesus said there's a kingdom coming, but I've got to suffer many things and be rejected first. And this is so important as disciples that you get this. Why are you a Christian? Well, they have really good coffee there at South Beach, you know. Oh, it's not why you're here. You're here because Jesus is real. Jesus is real. And how's you, how are you going to pull yourself out of the ditch next week? How are you going to find yourself navigating forward when things aren't right? You're going to remind yourself that the crown has been established through the cross. Jesus now gives us two Old Testament illustrations in order that we would see the importance of this. Look at verse 26 and on. He says that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriages. Got some recycling going on out here. And it says that the flood came and destroyed them all. Let me read verse 27 again. They ate, they drank, and they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, and they sold, and they planted, and they built. But on that day that Lot went out of Sodom, and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the house stop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take, him away, take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. He says, your priorities have got to be established before the return of Jesus. It's not going to be time to get things right when he returns. It's going to be like the days of Lot or like the days of Noah. There will be a time. Now, by the way, when Jesus references the days of Lot and the days of Noah, you who are Bible students need to tune in and you who are critics also need to write it down. Jesus references Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, Noah, the worldwide flood, Adam and Eve, the first two created beings, Jonah, the prophet swallowed by a whale. Jesus references all of these people as real and true and authentic and actual and factual. I just need you to get that. Because when you go to your higher university or when you talk to your uncle over Thanksgiving or when you talk to somebody, you will find people that disagree with the scriptures. Well, I don't think that's really real. Worldwide flood, Adam and Eve, Jonah and the whale, Lot, Sodom. I don't think that's real. Just so you know, Jesus has a higher credential than anybody you've ever talked to. There was actually one professor who was arguing with his students, a theology professor, about some of the claims of the Bible. And when one of those students pointed out that Jesus referenced Adam and Daniel and the, all these people as real, actual, factual, this guy accidentally said, well, we know more than Jesus knew. 
And he's like, oh, wait, that, that came up wrong. <laughs> you know, like, too late, buddy. We know where you're coming from. We know more. Just so you know, Jesus is a good teacher. He's teaching the Bible right now. And when he teaches the Bible, he uses the Bible to teach the Bible. And he references the story of Lot and the story of Noah in order that we would understand a couple of things. Number one, God's patience. You guys know that God was completely patient with both Noah and the entire human race and also Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah. God was patient. I read a morning devotional today before I started my day, and I just I kind of prayed. I was like, Lord, I kind of need you to speak to me. I, I just I need like a, a boost. And it was all about God's patience and grace. And, and it reminded me of the, the, the study today. God's patience. And are, you, are you glad God has been patient with you? he's going to continue to be patient. He demonstrates this in the scriptures. He's demonstrated it in your life. He'll demonstrate it this week in Jesus' name. Amen. I need his patience. And yet there's also clarity and there's direction. And when God instructed Noah, he told Noah, he said, Noah, I see what's going on in society. And it's obvious that no one's going to repent. It's obvious that the hearts of man are against me. So Noah, I want you to build a boat, you and your sons, and I want you to prepare for judgment to come. And you Bible students know that it took him 100 years building a boat. 100 years because God is patient. Did you know that during those 100 years, Peter tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness? That Noah preached to people? People would come by and say, hey, Noah, what are you doing? I heard a voice. I said, build a boat. There's rain coming. And people would ask him, come, come again, bro? Here, take this coffee. It's way better than yours. Your, your coffee's broken. Up until that day, and commentators are split. Most believe, though, that it hadn't yet rained ever, that the rain wasn't a thing yet, that the canopy of the earth hadn't been opened up in that way, and there's some reasons to believe. And so nobody even knew what rain was. Even if rain were a thing, if God told you to spend the next hundred years of your life, all your days and dollars and monies and your reputation on building a boat in the desert, even if rain were normal, like it is in Newport, even then it would take great faith. And God references Noah as an example of one who made the right decision against all odds. He had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. You know what it would have been like to be Noah's sons? Hey, Dad, can we go play? No, we're building a boat. Oh, Dad. Dad, can I go to the school dance? No, we're building a boat. Oh, Dad. Dad, you know how hard it is to get a girlfriend being the boat kid. You know, Dad, I mean, this is hard, Dad, you know. And, and they endured this stance. And on that day, God's patience it began to rain. First a little bit, and then a deluge. Then the water began to rise. And the Bible says it's actually haunting. You can read it in Genesis 6 and 7. You can read it. It's haunting. The Bible says that as the days grew and the water rose, that God ushered Noah into salvation, that is, into the ark, and that God himself shut the door. I don't know if it's because it wasn't Noah's job or he couldn't do it. He saw the, I don't know what was going on. It was God's sovereignty, and yet it was coupled with his patience towards humanity. I want the kingdom of God to come today. I'm into it. I sat on my couch hoping it would be in the next 30 seconds on Friday. It didn't happen. There's a parallel kingdom happening, kingdom of man, and God promises us. Just like it happened then, and there were naysayers and doubters and many, many years and lots of work and labor and lots of faith and sacrifice, it happened. It's a real deal. Then he goes on to talk about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And you guys know that similar as the days of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah was evil and reprobate in mind, and they did not repent. And God, seeing their evil, knowing that they did not repent, even with Abraham on the outskirts and Lot living within the city, the Bible calls Lot righteous Lot, that even in that condition, God's grace was extended towards them, but their depravity They could have called it a lot of different terms. Our culture has our own terms for our depravity. God says, no, no, that's not right. To me, that's an abomination, and I'm going to deal with that nation. Matter of fact, look at verse 32. He says, remember Lot's wife. Did you know that that's the second shortest verse in the Bible? The first shortest verse in the Bible is John 11, 35. Jesus wept over many things. The second shortest verse in the entire Bible, if you're going to start memorizing verses, start with the easy ones. You could memorize two today, John eleven thirty five, 35, and Luke 17, 32. Remember Lot's wife. Because you remember what happened in those days. That area was not repenting, and God was forced to bring judgment. In an effort to do that, to bring that judgment, God sent angels there to deliver Lot and his wife and his daughters and his family. And he warned them and said, guys, you're not repenting. I'm going to incinerate Sodom and Gomorrah. There's going to be fireballs, okay? Uh, Road and driveway is going to explode and it's going to be asphalt all over the place here in Sodom and Gomorrah. You've got to get out. And he had to send his angels. And if you know the story, Genesis 19 and on, the Bible says that there wasn't a sense of urgency within his family. We'll be fine. We'll pack later. He just said, if you're up on the housetop, don't go down to get stuff. If you're out in the field, don't go back. It's a sense of urgency. It's going to, it's not going to be time for that. The Bible actually indicates that the angel had to come in there with his hand, grab Lot and his family, and lead them out of the city to salvation. That he labored with them with patience and clarity, but justice and judgment to the brokenness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet you guys know Lot's wife's story. The Bible says that as she went out of the city with her family, she was already delivered. Isn't this crazy? And the Bible says that she turned back and looked. Three things I want you to understand about Lot's wife. Number one, she lingered when the message was given. She didn't make action right away. She stayed in the city with her family. Secondly, what she did is she escaped wrath and judgment. She didn't trust that there was a promise against her. Don't look back because if you do, you'll die. She said, well, what's one glance going to do? That lingering back, the non-action of Lot's wife, I believe forced her, caused her, allowed her to make a critical error in believing the promises of God. And not only did she linger, not only did she then not trust, but ultimately she longed for the old life. When the Bible says that she looked back, it wasn't just like, whoa, you know, take a picture like we would do with our cameras. I got to film this. She's going viral. The implication is that she didn't want to go man, I like my old life. I liked it there. I liked what was going on. And I believe most of us in here, listen, I'm going to say this quickly. I don't have time to develop it. Most of us in here feel this emotion as believers from time to time. We have a split interest, okay, if you're honest. And there is a split interest within you for the things of the world, the things of your past from time to time. This will happen to all of us. And yet the Bible declares, don't go back. Don't long back. Don't want that old relationship. Don't want that old haunt. Don't find them on Facebook. Don't go to that place anymore. Don't desire those things. Take your thoughts captive to Jesus and live for him. Go forward. Don't look back. Jesus says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. This is crazy. 
Jesus, I don't think he referenced her casually, cavalierly. I think it was a word to the believers, to the disciples. He goes on to say, verse 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Guys, don't go back. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two will be grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. Two will be in the field, and one will be taken, the other left. Again, most believe this speaks of the rapture, that it's going to happen. There will be those working together, those living together, those dwelling together, and one will be taken, and one will be left, just like Lot's family was snatched out of Sodom and Gomorrah before it was destroyed, just like Noah was rescued. We really have three choices. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Jesus says this in verse 37. And they answered and they said, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. This is a really tough thing to discern what Jesus meant. I actually don't know what he meant. It's a Jewish idiom, if you would. He said, where the body is, the eagles will be there. Similar saying in another portion of scripture, where there's a carcass, the birds will be swirling. This is going to happen. No one's going to miss it. You're going to see it. It's going to go down just as I said. It'll be obvious. Trust me. And you and I really have three choices here. We can either be like, and I'm going to have the communion elements brought out for us right now. We can find ourselves being like the people of Noah's day. Given 100 years, long time. And just waiting, just kind of mocking the things of God. Rejecting this all-in mentality. We can be like Lot's wife. And we can look back constantly. And let me say this one more time. If you have a struggle looking back, okay, I'm just going to be honest, join the club. But God has given you victory in that struggle. He has given you victory over sin and death and temptation. You who are believers here are a new creation. You don't have to look back. You don't have to long back. You don't have to linger. You can get where God wants you even this morning. The third choice we have is to be like Noah. Who believed God. Who labored in the kingdom of man. For the glory of God. And the question I ask you here is, are you going to be a part of the kingdom of God? You already are a part of the kingdom of man. You already are. Are you going to be a part of the kingdom of God? Are you going to enter in? The choice is yours. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your words here. When asked, what's it going to be like? What's going on? You gave answers so we would have insight so we could live our lives right and die right as well. And even as we come to the table now, we realize, Lord, that you died so that when we die, we can live because you died and then lived. And so, Jesus, we thank you, and we ask right now a blessing on this time as we come to the table, as we enjoy, Lord, what you have done, the promises of God. But before we do that, I want to make an opportunity for you to guarantee by faith in Jesus that you're going to the kingdom of God when you die. If you want to submit to the King of Kings, to Jesus Christ, if you want him to be your Lord and Savior, if you want him to be the Alpha and the Omega, if you want him to be the first and the last, the beginning and the end, all declarations of Jesus Christ, If you want to put him where he belongs on that pedestal of everything, the highest, that the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Even his earthly mom says, this is Jesus. You do whatever he says. If 
you want to guarantee that here? Repent of your foolishness, your pride. Maybe somebody's led you astray in a cult and you haven't put Jesus where he belongs and you want Jesus to be supreme. Would you just raise your hand right now? Guarantee this between you and him. Raise your hand declaring your allegiance to him. You're wanting of him. I see hands everywhere. Do this. If you've done this already, you don't have to do it. It's once and done. Your faith is put in Jesus. If you've never done this though and you want to guarantee it, put it up there high and let the Lord know, yes, Lord, you're my king. You're my king and I want to live for the kingdom of God. Raise up your hand nice and high if you want to live for the kingdom of God. Maybe you're a believer here and you need help and you have a duplicitous mind. Raise your hand right now if you want to be more kingdom-minded. In Jesus' name, my, both my hands are up, Lord. And, and I'm doing this by way of submission and surrender, Lord, and even apology and repentance. Raise your hand if you want to live for the kingdom of God. Owning your stuff even to this day saying, Lord, make me a better ambassador of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Lord, would your Holy Spirit descend upon those hands that are up right now? Just sit by those two maybe whose hands aren't up. Just sit by them and love them. Lord, in Jesus' name, we love you so much, God. We need you to do these things. We know this is your heart that you labored so long that you went to the cross in order to establish this, Lord. Our hands are up. Anoint us now. Convict us even in those areas that are not kingdomly, that are not right. We need to not go down into the house and grab that stuff anymore. Leave it alone. We don't got time for that. You can put your hands down. Lord, would you come upon us now as we come to the table? As we reflect upon the things of Jesus, we do what we do now, examining ourselves, proclaiming your death until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.